Hi, I'm Dr. Patty Ferris. I'm a board-certified dermatologist, and I am your host for this episode of Skincare Confidential. I am very excited to be joined by a good friend and one of my most highly esteemed colleagues, Dr. Doris Day. Doris is a board-certified dermatologist. She practices on the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York City. She practices cosmetic dermatology and general dermatology. She's also on the faculty at NYU, where she's received an award for excellence in teaching for dermatology, no surprise to me. She's also received an AAD presidential citation in recognition of her dedication and leadership in aesthetic dermatology. She's also won awards for her work in laser research and continues to participate in FDA clinical trials. I think what Dr. Day is most well known for is being the host of the Dermatology Show on Dr. Radio on Sirius XM 110. She also has frequent appearances on national media outlets. I personally have seen you on The View, The Today Show, Live with Kelly and Ryan, and many, many other shows. She's also a published author. She just published her fourth book, Rebooting the Biome. And I am just so happy to have you here, Doris. Thank you for having me. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you. We go way back, Patty, and you are always one of the most, if not the smartest person in the room. And I think this podcast is such a great idea because Aww. when you talk, I learn so much. I remember talking about skincare in the past and we were, we were talking about CBD for skincare and you just know so much. And I always love having you on radio. So we have to do that again too. Thank you so much. Now, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is because you are known for being a medical journalist. You actually have a degree in medical journalism. And I thought that this was so timely because nowadays we have so many people on social media. We have physician experts. We have non-physician experts. And I think it's really, I want to highlight your career as a medical journalist. So start by telling us, how did you find your path there to going to actually get credentialed as a medical journalist? As with so many things in life, you kind of back your way into things sometimes. So I was an English major in college, studied literature and philosophy, and always said I was going to be a doctor because everyone's a doctor in my family, but I don't know that I really meant it. I was just sort of putting myself out there as something I might do, but I had a million ideas of what I could be in my life. And then I graduated and thought, oh my God, I haven't done any pre-med yet, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. So to buy time, I just did my pre-med courses. So I did a post-bac pre-med, took the MCATs, and now I had this time. And with this time on my hands, I couldn't just sit around and do nothing. It's not my style. And it turned out that NYU had a new uh, journalism program called Science and Environmental Reporting. So everybody in that program had to be a scientist. And the idea was that the director saw when Three Mile Island happened, the nuclear meltdown, he sent all these reporters out. He was you know, managing editor of the New York Times. And he they come back and they're like, what's nuclear? What's a meltdown? So he thought, I need to teach scientists to be journalists because journalists need too much time to become scientists and too much is happening yeah. in the world. So I picked that program and I managed to get a great uh, graduate position as a graduate assistant. And so I had room board and a stipend and the tuition was, was easy enough. So I got to do this program and met the most incredible people, but start with medical journalism. And this was in the eighties, the early eighties in the time of HIV. So I covered so much around HIV and Kaposi sarcoma. And that was my introduction to dermatology. 
And meanwhile, I applied to medical school thinking, I just won't get in. I mean, I did it as a post-bac and everybody else is a science major. I'm an English major. What do they want with me? But there it was, I got in and now I'm like, oh boy, I game on game on <laughs> yeah, so they called my bluff and they took me and and um so I had this great intro to dermatology and there was some place in medical school along the way as I went through all my anxiety about what am I doing here when I was studying the kidney and we were learning about the countercurrent multiplier and how the kidney makes urine and there was something to me so miraculous about this, that how you could go through this gradient and go uphill and sort out sodium and potassium from all the, the waste in the body. And the body has this way of, of holding back water and getting rid of waste. It was so brilliant. And I thought, this is incredible. And I fell in love with science and the human body and just wanted to learn everything I could. And so there it was. I, I, and then I worked all the way through medical school. So I worked for a lot of the, the journals that we kind of call throwaways, right? The, which they're not, right. I mean, they're the ones that give us the information. But through them, I covered a lot of medical conferences and I still wrote for them as I was in medical school and always thought that as a physician, because of my background in literature and reading all of the beautiful writers, like, all these books and literature about human lives and in those lives they have diseases and they have doctors and they and they talk about those experiences so i learned so much about medicine from journalism from literature and philosophy and then as a journalist as a physician you do have that journalistic um curiosity right so right. you want the scoop yeah. you want the patient to tell you why they're there like what their real story is it's not that they have this rash it's that they're worried they have cancer or they know somebody or they were on a plane or they thought they caught something or there's always a worry behind it that once we get that scoop that story now as a doctor rather than just as a journalist i'm not going to report it i'm actually going to do something about it and that to me is the, the love of medicine where i can help my patients be heard, but then I can go to another level of help them heal. And, and that's important to me. So that that's a story I never knew. I didn't realize you did journalism first. For some reason, I thought you went back and did that. So you started in journalism and that makes total sense with your English major. Um, that's, that's a great story. So I know that you've been doing doctor radio for a long time and you know, I listen to your show and you know that Luke, my Luke is your biggest fan. He's always, Doris is on the radio. I have to go. <laughs> and I love that because he said he learned so much. And I want to know, like, how did you find your way into Dr. Radio? And like, are you producing these? Are you get the guests? I know you do, because sometimes you'll reach out to some of our friends who you know have expertise in certain things. So tell us a little bit about that journey as well. Yeah, this year will be 15 years on Dr. Oh, radio. Wow. I don't even know how it went by so fast. This was an experiment. There was Scott Greenstein, who's head of Syria, spoke with Langone, who is Langone, you know, NYU Langone. Right, NYU, they, yeah. This would be kind of a fun experiment. Let's throw a bunch of doctors in a room, give them a mic, and see how they do. And uh, I was at a show called, um, it was Mike and somebody. It was, it's not on the air anymore, but as I was on this show, um, who was there? Mark Siegel was there. Mark Siegel is the, the boss of Dr. Radio. He heads the medical side of it. So he was there and he said, you know, Doris, I'm, I'm starting this thing with Dr. Radio and I think you'd be a great dermatology host. 
So I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, we're friends. He knows me well, but he had a lot going on and I probably wasn't top of mind. But as we ran into each other at this other thing, he was, he just said, let's do this. So I was one of the first hosts. I think I was on in the first month that it started. And, um, and now, yeah, it just kept going. So all of the hosts are NYU physicians. That's one of the requirements. And they have a ER show, dermatology show, Oh yeah. You name the show, they have the show. I know. I love listening to them. Honestly, don't you learn so much from our other medical colleagues? Exactly. Even things yeah. that seem unrelated, it's fascinating. And the guy who's right on before me, Dr. Pochapin, I, I just go in and listen. And there's a nursing show right before mine, and we're best buddies. And I learn from all of them and really appreciate everybody's style. So we're we're all there. We do our own thing. In the beginning, I used to talk myself out of breath. Because I was afraid of any silence and I would start by telling stories. And before calls came in, I would just keep talking. And then I realized, like, I'm going to faint. I can't. <laughs> I have to take a breath. <laughs> so it, there's definitely a learning curve that goes with it. And then uh, it's, oh, it's yeah. a thought of, like, what you want to share. So I, I think about patients I see and stories I want to share and making sure that when people call in, they again they feel heard it's it's a word we hear a lot lately but it is really important for patients or callers to be able to share their stories and and feel like they can have a conversation and to give them some direction and also what's really interesting is even people who listen regularly there's a lot of repetition i mean i might explain rosacea over and over again from sure. as a psoriasis and the underlying causes sure please explain it a little bit differently but what happens is that people still need to hear it. People still are confused. What's the difference between Botox and a filler? You know, what are the different types of neuromodulators? We have all these things. There's only so much they can absorb or retain because right, repetition is so important. So they don't mind hearing the same things over and over again. And it's always different listeners or people don't always listen to the whole show. It's two long hours if it's, you know, you're listening to the whole yeah. thing. So, um, so I don't mind being having that repetition, but then we have a caller who has a personal line to it. So we get their humanistic take on it about how is this affecting your life and your sense of wellness and well-being, and that makes the story new again. That's yeah. what makes it not just giving facts, but saying, oh, yes, I, I get that, too. It comes alive. It comes alive when somebody gives a personal testimonial. So are there any like stories to- that come top of mind for you? I know you help a lot of people on Dr. Radio, too. One of the most incredible stories was this woman who called in. So I had a plastic surgeon as a guest on, and he had just written a book about uh, expressions or faces. It wasn't Steve Diane. It was somebody else, a different plastic surgeon. So this woman calls, and she's says, yeah, you know, my son is thinking of getting Botox because he has a heavy brow. So as she's talking, he's talking about what you can do with Botox, all these different things in his book and great. I love it. So I, I asked, how old is your son? And she said, 21. And I said, oh, or he was even younger, maybe 18. He was young. And I said, oh, that's so interesting. Was he, was he born with this? Yeah. And I said, and he was born with it. Okay. So it always seemed that way. So I, I said, well, I said, um, what is what is his concern with it? Like, how is it affecting his life? What what are what are his issues with it? Are kids teasing him? He said, no, it's not that. It's just that it reminds him of his father. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I said, well, are you are you still married to his dad? 
And she said, no. And I said, okay, well, how old were you when, when you, when you separated? And she said he was about two. And, uh, and I said, well, does he still have a relationship with his dad? And she said, no, his dad has been in and out of incarceration. So I thought, wow. oh, there's a story here. So yeah. I, I thought, well, maybe there's more to it. Before we go and do Botox or surgery or anything heavy for this, I said, maybe, I said, do you think that there might be a concern that he feels like it reminds him of his dad, so he's going to end up like his dad? Or because you split from his dad, you're going to look at him the same way. And I said, maybe there's a conversation that you can have if you haven't already, because there's, because to me, it seems like at his age, when you're describing it as not being so obvious, but to have this other implication, I think maybe we, we could help him with that. And she said, no, I love him so much. I, I, it has nothing to do with that. I said, does he know this? And she said, I don't know. It never occurred to me to bring it up. I never thought about it. So I think that's the part where it comes alive, where when people are willing to go there with me and yes. have this conversation. That's so personal. That's very is. personal what she shared. But radio is a little anonymous, right? We right. don't really know her name. Right. And she's you can't in see her. Yeah. Yeah. So that gives them freedom to be able to talk. Right. So that's an advantage of radio. We have the time and people who call are wanting to share their stories many times. They want to tell me about, they want the advice, but they also want to tell me about how much they love their child or what they're going through or how it's affecting their life. And that, that's the side of it that I really love. So you're doing a little psychodermatology. <laughs> you know, we, t we talk about it a lot. You know, the psychological overlay between dermatology and psychiatry is very real, as we well know. So the problem that I, I have with that, when people say that, when patients even say that, they're like, oh, I feel like I'm getting a therapy session. And I, I feel like that's the problem with medicine today is that we compartmentalize so much that we think that that's a separate issue when in reality, separate entity. it's not a separate entity it's no. the entity so yeah. me helping i'm just opening doors right when we give a treatment we're just opening doors we're just offering guidance to make other things better but the skin reflects everything so absolutely ever just treating the skin and we know that emotions affect our appearance very powerfully. So that's gonna be one component. I mean, we do psoriasis treatments, the so joints get better. We don't say we're doing rheumatology. We're saying we're doing, we're practicing medicine and it happens. Yes, you're right, you're right. So I think it's all- Point, well, ma point well made, that's, you're 100% you're right. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's, very, it's very true. Um, talk a little bit about TV because I know that's a really a different animal so to speak it's it's a much different preparation and you do so many big segments on big shows so how does all that come out come to to be again it's one of those things that i kind of backed into it, it it was just i was in the right place at the right time a lot of times and i've never had pr i don't have pr now and so i i don't i don't pitch things i just i just show up if somebody calls me most of the time if i can and what happened was early in my career when Botox, Allergan was building Botox as a brand and wrestling was coming up and I had done some of the clin clinical trials. So I had insight into that. I, I'm in New York, so I'm convenient. I speak in English and I can speak medical English. Mm -hmm. right? So I, I'm reliable to not use medical terms when there's easier, more understandable words to use. 
And so a lot of times it was the companies that were pitching me to the shows. And most of the time it was unbranded, which is meaning that you're not, nice. you're not paying to be on. It's just right. organically on. And sometimes you can mention products, sometimes you can't, and you have to abide by those rules. But I, and I've been media trained so many times, it's crazy. So it's a lot of media training, but nice enough at the end of those media trainings, they usually just ended up with just be yourself. Like you got this, let's do it. And that gave me confidence too. I think, I think media training is really important. As you know, I taught the media training course at AAD for years. I passed that on a while ago. But I've told a lot of young dermatologists. In fact, I had this very conversation at the AAD recently with a young derm. I'm like, get some media training. It really does help. I mean, you're a pro and you've been media trained. I have also been fortunate to have been media trained many times. But I think it really makes a difference. It does. And you get something out of every single person who tries Absolutely. to train you. But one thing that I learned, and I'm about to say, figured it out on my own, was that when I go on a show, I always know my first line, not radio, but TV. So if I want to say, always use sunscreen, they can ask me about the weather. They can go in. So what are the stats about basal cell? And I'll say, right. skin cancer is a big problem. That's why you always need to use sunscreen. And right. then I'm owning the conversation. And then I can go into, it's the most common cancer, but I've taken control of the interview. You put out your key message right up front. And then they can sit back and lean on you and go, okay, this person is in control. You're sending a cue to them that you are in control of the video. So most of the time when I do TV interviews, I don't, usually you do a rehearsal before where you'll walk through the segment with a producer and assistant where they sit, they'll say, okay, you have this much time. These are the points. These are the things we're going to show if, if it's like a, a DIY or something that I don't love doing, but it, it gives a visual or mm -hmm. to the topics and this is where you're going to sit. Like they'll get you set up on Good Morning America. They don't do that so much. They don't rehearse. They'll just have you on and they'll, they won't even tell you the questions. They'll just have you on and that's fine. But some of the other shows, I'd like that we do the rehearsal because this way I know the points that are most important to make. And it sort of gets out of the way the idea of what you're going to go go through, and then uh, but the the hosts don't do that rehearsal part with you, so they count on the guest to be the one who will make sure you get through the whole segment. And sometimes you'll have a producer on the side going next, 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 like let's skip this, yeah, move, move it, yeah. And so you have to keep at their pace, but also not. I mean, I do talk fast, so I try to not talk so fast. I'm, but. <laughs> It's my nature. Susan Winkle will remind me sometimes to pause. Slow down, <laughs> take a breath, yeah. take a breath. <laughs> so it's that breathing. And maybe yeah. that's where the media training would come in handy again. But yeah. I will I will get through and, and have what they call a purposeful pause between segments. I'm curious. I know you also have a big social media presence, so we can't talk about media today without talking about social media, but you have a very unique, in my opinion, social media presence that really relies on your medical journalistic background, I think. But talk a little bit about how you view social, um, you know, in the year 2023. There's so many doctors on social. Yeah, I like seeing more doctors on social because I feel like we have to claim it in the medical space instead of letting other people just put stuff out there and become the authority because there's a lot of odd information. And, you know, when you look across doctors in the medical space, we don't always agree with each other. 
I see people no. say things and I think, hmm, that's not how I see it or how I would do it. You, everything still has to be a little bit with a grain of salt. And I, my approach to it is don't sell anything, just inform. And that's my style. So after the meeting, I unfortunately wasn't able to go to the AAD because I had two uh, kids in the match. <laughs> so my, oh. my daughter and my son's fiance were both in the in the Durham match. They both I wondered why you didn't go. They both matched. They both. Yay! Yeah, Congratulations. That's great. It's very exciting. But if I had gone to the meeting when I when I was coming home or even when I was there, I would have probably done an IG live from the exhibit floor, walk through, interview people. And then when I was coming home, now my new thing is I'll do from the backseat of a cab. I have my ring light and I'll just do an IG live and make notes of all the pearls that I learned at the meeting and things I'd want to share with people about what the highlights were. And so that's sort of become popular. It's really trial and error. What do people want to see? What do they watch the most? And how do I create something that's visually appealing? So it's not always just me on camera talking, but to get the background uh, information that's going to make it look interesting. So they'll, they'll get even more. I want to use all your senses as much as I can. So that's the thing. But it's really just about informing. And what I think is interesting about social media is that it's the you come through in the end. You make enough content and who you are comes through. So if you're more uh, big procedure oriented, that's going to come through. If you're more like I just look at so many people out there from Ellen Gendler to Anna Guanch, Jason Ammer, all these people are so authentically themselves on social Absolutely. media. And you can prefer one over another, but their sure. audience will find yeah. them. And yeah. if their audience finds them, they're all giving out great information, some with more humor, some, you know, a little bit more hardcore and some a little bit more, in my view, a little bit more radical. But all of it is information that has an audience that people will sift through. And and I think that's good. Tony Yoon is somebody I follow also, and he's out there debunk debunking things in ways that I would give pause about seeing some of the things that he says, but he does it so authentically, Tony, that you, I comment and I laugh and I appreciate it and I learn, and it's just, it's a great style that works for him. There's, there's a lot of interesting things out there. One thing I don't do is I don't show injections being done because I don't want to watch that. So the way I look at my social media is, do I want to watch it after the fact? Is this something that I want to look back on and go, yeah, I did that. I'm happy. Interesting. I, 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 I do agree with you. It's sometimes I feel like there's a little bit too much, yeah. um, too much clinical being shown, but you know, again, it's, you said it perfectly, whoever it is, their real self kind of comes through their personality, their style. I mean, I, I think you said it perfect. Another thing that I think you've been very accomplished at is podium being on the podium. And I mean, you and I have been to a lot of meetings together over the years, which is how we really became friends in the beginning, but especially for young dermatologists who I think are interested in being on the podium. I've, had a lot of them ask me, how do you get on the podium? So how do you juggle all of that? You know, you've got social media, you've got Dr. Radio, and then you've got, it seems like you're always on a plane going somewhere, even internationally, you travel quite a bit. It makes me so happy. I just do things I want to do. I'm very lucky that I'm in a position and always have been that I only do things I choose to do. 
And sometimes to get to what I choose to do is paying my dues and hard work, but, but I know it's to do something I choose. And so I don't begrudge myself that hard work. And the podium part for me is the hardest because I'm absolutely to people who are as smart or smarter than me. And I don't want to waste their time. And that takes the most amount of work and effort to come up with before and afters that are authentic, that are honest, that to give information and not go through every single time, all the signs of aging and like all the stuff we know, but to give my colleagues enough respect to say, we all know this, let's right. get to the new stuff. And, right. and to have them come out on the other side with something they didn't know before or, or a way of looking at it that that makes it interesting for them. And they go, OK, that I'm glad I went to see that. And that's really hard. So I'm always pushing out of my comfort zone. That's my comfortable place. If I'm in my comfort zone, I'm I, I'm not happy. I need to yeah. I need to rest in my comfort zone, but then push through that to something that's new. And my focus now is on longevity health. and looking at the skin and looking at skin quality and saying, how am I going to help not just improve balance, but also improve skin health? Because if you take skin that doesn't have hormones, that doesn't have what it needs to build its collagen and to maintain that, you can contour, pull, do all these things, but it's bad skin, better skin. So I'm studying the biome and I wrote the book with Thomas Hitchcock, who I hopefully go and do a podcast with him because he's brilliant. I, I spent some time with him at the AAD. I went and I went and sat with him. I'm like, I want to hear her because you had told me so many great things about him. He's totally brilliant. And yes, we will have him on. Oh, great. Because yeah. we'll talk about the book too. But looking at the microbes that live in the skin, I practice so much differently now, understanding that we need to nurture those microbes, not annihilate right. them. And right. we have to respect them and, and think about what we're putting on our skin and not think about preservatives, about what they're doing to the body, but what they're doing to the biome of the skin. And that's been really helpful. So it's, again, taking everything I know, turning it, up, it on its head and saying, I need to look at this differently and I need to push out of my comfort zone because honestly, I'm there too. Like I'm aging a year every year <laughs> going through all this. So it's personal also. I, I do think being on the podium makes you learn more than anything else. I mean, you know, you're like I am, you'll rip apart a subject, you know, and read everything you can find on it. It makes me lo- keep learning. That's why I keep doing it. And then we, you and I talked about this and, and I think about it every time I make a presentation is how can I have as few words as possible on each slide? Yes. So you're not reading those lists of words. I know. Have the slide be my cue for what I know to say, but not be a, a lecture. Not be your crutch. It's not a crutch. Yeah. It's a cue. Yep. And well, then it, that's, I had this new talk that I was, that I gave and I came and sat down afterwards and I was like, Patty, that was painful. I, <laughs> I was so I, unhappy. It was, it was way better than you gave yourself credit for, but I do understand I'm hard on myself too. Sometimes you're just not, it's not exactly where you want it to be. And that's another thing, you know, you're an educator, we're teachers, and that's why we're on the podium because we can take things and turn a complicated subject into something simpler and, and get it out there in a way that I think people like it, make it indigestible pieces. Yeah. And you're very good at that, Doris. I always laugh about your husband, Michael, telling you, you do the whole talk in the first two slides. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't even need this slide. <laughs> I know. He's like, done. She's already said. You're, it's kind of like you do your interviews. You get up front what yeah. you want people to come with. I don't think that's necessarily bad because I always tell them, this is the one thing I want you to remember from this talk. And if that's on the first slide, so be it. But anyway, we, we don't have a ton of time, but I want you to talk for a minute about something personal. I know you were so inspired by your dad. And he was a physician and he was your mentor. And I know I hear you talk about him on your radio show all the time, but talk for a few minutes about your dad, because I love those stories. Yeah, my dad was very, very special. He was so ahead of his time. And sometimes it's not until you look back that you realize the power that somebody has over you, because in the day to day, it's all the little things, the, the complications of like just dads being dads and sort of wanting to always make you better. So my dad was uh, was just so smart and so thoughtful and so kind. And he taught me that you never stop being a physician. So when it, you're a doctor, it's a calling. It's not a job. It's not a career. It's, it's, a, it's a, a being. So when he would go see his patients in the hospital and come home, he, he was the same person. And he cared so deeply about his patients. I was lucky. I always said I was his youngest apprentice because I was very close to him. I'd get up early in the morning and watch him shave. And he would sing K-Sara-Sara to me while he shaved and we'd have <laughs> breakfast together. And then he'd put on his suit, cross the street, and then go into his scrubs because he was an anesthesiologist. But he always said, OR, you wear your scrubs. Outside the OR, your patient should never see you in scrubs. You should always be dressed appropriately. And they have to have that confidence in you. And he taught me that what you read in the textbooks, you have to learn what's in the textbooks because it's what we know, but it's only what they know now. And that you can't count on as the full knowledge that you have to look at your patient and you have to keep learning and growing and expanding on what you learn in the textbooks. So he would go see his patients. They used to pre-round the night before. He did a lot of GYN surgery. So Back then for breast cancer, there was no lumpectomy. It was only bilateral radical mastectomies mm. and all open surgeries where they took everything out. So if you had a lump, it wouldn't help. It didn't, you didn't need all that. And if it already metastasized, you didn't need that either, right? So these yeah. went through very difficult surgeries just for the chance to live. But he would go in his suit the night before, put his hand on their soldier and he, shoulder, and he would tell them, you're going to be okay. I got this. And he would give them that calm that he was going to take care of them. And then he would hypnotize them before he put them under. And when he, they came out of surgery, there was no, there was no um, anti-emetics back then. So it was oh, all. They'd be so sick. So he would say, I manage their anesthesia. I don't follow the textbook. The textbook is what I know. It's my guide. But I know if somebody's more anxious or they tell me if they're fast or slow metabolizers by the things that they tell me. And so I'm going to gauge their anesthesia based on that. And he would always school the surgeons too. You know, he would make sure the surgeons were polite and they were nice to the residents. And he was, he was just a great physician in that way. And I used to do his billing and his scheduling because anesthesia, they don't need an office. They can do it from home. And his patients would schedule their surgeries around him over the surgeon because they didn't get sick afterwards. And they just enjoyed ah. the way that he was. And then he would tell us stories as well. And, uh, and in the car, when we were driving, we had a little place out in the Hamptons. And when we would drive, you know, everybody else does the license plate and the states and the other things. We would do the cardiovascular system. 
So we would have <laughs> anatomy from the heart and the vessel with the all around to the capillaries and then to the venules and then all the way back up to the heart. And I love that. So, yeah, so we started learning anatomy at like six. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's so great story. I know he was very inspiring to you. What a great story. Well, listen, Doris, I cannot thank you enough. I admire you. You're a friend. You're a colleague. And I'm just so grateful for you giving us your time. And I know everybody's going to enjoy this episode and they're going to learn a lot about medical journalism and your journey and why Doris Day is, as I always say, the biggest dermatologist on the globe. Oh, thank you, Patty.